Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to K2. Tons of opportunities that you can see through the feed of places where you can connect, things you can join to be part of a team or even grow in your faith. I just can't uh, really encourage you strongly enough to look through the program and just take advantage of some of these great opportunities. Uh, my name is Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts here. If I don't know you, I wish, uh, hopefully we'll meet at some point. But I'm really looking forward to sharing with you uh, today in specific. And actually, this whole series, uh, This Is War, uh, is just uh, it's the series that we're in right now. Last week, if you were here, you heard uh, Dave Nelson talk about our champion. And uh, over the next three weeks following this week, we're going to be looking at, at our enemy, and there are three different ways, or three different enemies that we need to view, Satan, uh, the world, and uh, ourselves being the last one. And I just, I, I, again, I can't encourage you strongly enough, I feel like this series is paramount in your walk with Jesus, in terms of understanding what it means to live a life in the truth of understanding that we are in, engaged in, in spiritual warfare. So make every effort to get back in the next three weeks. And if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, uh, go online you can, or, or go to iTunes and, and, and listen to the podcast because just truly life-changing stuff. I think it's all really valuable for all of us. This week, I'm going to be looking at and focusing on our armor, the armor of God in this spiritual war. And if, if you've been in church for any time, you've, you may have heard the message series on our armor, right? Any, anyone heard the, the armor of God message before? And uh, I have to tell you that one of the greatest gifts for me is when I get to teach, I, I generally learn probably more than you guys do from me. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great gift. But I began, we're going to be looking at a passage in Ephesians chapter 6, the last chapter of Ephesians, where he describes... God's armor for us to wear. And just as a teaching tool, I want you, I, I say this, you know, from time to time, and I want, want, I think this is really valuable. Anytime you're reading God's word, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is understand the context in which it's written. Once you understand the context, I think it makes a whole lot more sense. And for me, understanding the context of Ephesians was so valuable in deciphering what Paul was saying to us in this book. It's really interesting. It's written, the book of Ephesians is written to Christians and who, who basically are, in, in a spiritual sense, they've received Christ, they're Christians, but they're living without the benefits and the blessings and the promises that God has given them in coming to Christ. They're kind of living outside of those. It's really interesting. You find this phrase, in Christ, or some equivalent phrase of in Christ, in, in Ephesians 30 times more than any other book in the New Testament. That's, that's saying something. Whenever you read something that repeats like that, you realize there's a real point to what he's saying. And what he does in the first three chapters, he spends a ton of time just reminding the Ephesian believers of all of the benefits and promised blessings that they have in Christ. And I just made a quick list. It's really interesting. He chose us. He adopted us. He finds pleasure in us. Do you ever, do you ever think that? Do you ever, do you ever think that God finds pleasure in us? Isn't that amazing? Sometimes I don't even think about God, but when I do, it's not usually the first thing I think that he finds pleasure in me. <laughs> he finds pleasure in us. He pours kindness on us. He's purchased our freedom through Christ. He forgives us. He's made us heirs. He saves us. He's identified us as his own, and the proof is him giving us the Holy Spirit. And he says, and you were dead to God, but now you're alive to God through salvation. First three chapters. And he over and over, he wants the Ephesians to understand you're missing a life that we were designed to live through the blessings and, and promises. 
And then the last three chapters, four through six, he goes on. It kind of looks like an orthopedic clinic in teaching Christians how to walk in light of the promised blessings and benefits that they have. He says, live in unity using your gifts and live a life that shows you've received Christ as your Savior. And then he goes on to some very, very practical stuff. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, treat your slaves well. Really, really practical stuff. And then in the last few verses of the book, he says, he jumps into this battle arm of, uh, this armor and battle uh, warfare stuff. And it kind of, it was very, very interesting. I read this. I never realized that all of a sudden he jumps from these life practical stuff into this spiritual war scenario. What I want to do, I just take a second here. I just listed a bunch of the stuff that he mentions in, 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 Ephesians, and I just want to ask you a couple questions to help illustrate something. I want you to think through your week for just a second, and this is, I'm going to ask you some questions I don't actually want you to answer out loud. I want you to answer in your head, but have a specific in mind here, okay? Just in your last week, don't even shake your head. (laughs) In your last week, have you had conflict with your spouse? How about, have you had parenting issues? Kids, you having troubles with your parents? They don't get you? How about difficulties at work with your employees or, or, or with your boss? Your boss is a jerk or your employee is a jerk or whatever, I don't know. Maybe you can't find work? Or any just even physical circumstances that are happening in your life. You know, stuff that's causing stress and frustration and depression and desperation, anxiety, sadness. And now what I want you to do, I just want you to take, just, just take a second. And I listed a whole bunch of stuff. Can you think of one specific example? Just think about that for a second. Just this week, it may have happened on your way in this morning. And when you think of that example, where you've had this stress or conflict or whatever, was your first response to it, oh, this is clearly a spiritual issue. Because I have to be honest with you, in a lot of cases, it's not my first response. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it may not be yours all the time either. I just, for me, you know, my kids are not behaving or whatever. And generally speaking, what I'm thinking is, how quickly can I resolve this issue? Because it's really inconvenient and I have stuff to do. It's not about me helping them grow in Christ a lot of times. It's not about what God is trying to do with my heart. It's about getting this thing done with because I just am frustrated by it. And I think that too often many of us view our life circumstances, this list that he goes through in Ephesians, and we view these on a strictly human level. And I realized this week as I was studying for this message that I think we're missing some pretty important stuff. And what I think what we need to ask ourselves in these times where we're faced with conflict or lack of unity or problems or stress or frustration or anxiety, whatever it is, we have to ask ourselves, what's really going on here? Because I think that too often we're unaware of the battle that's happening around us. 
Brother Andrew, in his book, The Muslim Challenge, he says, on many occasions when we visited Christians in the communist countries, they told us they had an easier life than we did in the West. We know who our enemy is, they would say, but you do not. In the greatest country in the universe, (laughs) we don't even know who our enemy is. And I think that so often we wander through life unaware that there's a spiritual battle going on. And you think about this. You go to the beach, you go to the pool. Who would think of not putting sunscreen on their kids, right? Or yourself. You get in the car, you automatically put the seatbelt on. But for many of us, we kind of wander through life kind of like going to Normandy Beach to vacation during the World War. There's a war waging and we're just kind of out there living on this human plane. And what I want to share, and maybe this could be, so I, maybe I'm hearing your thoughts. Mike, I think you're looking for the devil behind every bush. And I get it. You break a shoestring, it doesn't mean Satan's trying to take you out. I will say this, though. I will say this. That sometimes I think we're not looking behind enough bushes. In fairness. And the re- here, here was the revelation for me as I, as I studied this week. I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 13 through 17. That's where we're going to focus as he talks about the armor of God. And before I even dive into that, I'm just going to look at the very first word in that passage, and that word is this, therefore. Now, I learned something. It's another learning tool for you guys. My dad told me this. When you're reading God's word and you find the word therefore, go back and see what the therefore is there for. (laughs) Because what he's about to say is based on what he's already said. In summary... And that was what flipped the switch for me in understanding something really valuable this week. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. So first thing, what do I do? Therefore, well, what's the first verse before it say? It says this, Ephesians chapter 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... What I'm about to say is based on the fact that your real struggles in life are not here, they're here. And what's interesting, then you go back, he spent five and a half chapters talking about life in human skin stuff, relational conflict, unity, bosses, uh, employees, husbands, wives. He spent all of this time helping us understand what is promised for the blessing and how we have to work through this stuff. And he says, and the reality is that that stuff is spiritual in nature not primarily human in nature. And the way for us to live in victory and receive the promised victory that Jesus has for us is for us to put on the armor of God. For me, I never really under, I always thought, you know, it's gonna be this big thing, some big episode, and that's when I have to have spiritual battle. And I think what he's trying to say, yes, in those moments, you need to be prepared. The big moments, you have to have your armor on, but in every encounter in life, you need to be equipped with the armor of God or you're going to lose the battle in that moment. So, let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna pick up in verse 13. And it says this, Therefore, put on the, whole, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in, in place, 
and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In this passage, he lists six different pieces of, of armor. And you uh, just need to understand, you know, I mean, when's the last time you saw helmets and breastplates? And I mean, I guess if you go to Comic-Con or Fantasy-Con, you see that regularly. I'm not one of those attenders. So, but outside of that, you probably don't see a lot of this stuff. And what he's doing is he's describing the armor of the Roman soldier in his day. And it's, he lists six pieces, and he dives right in. What he's doing, he's taking a piece of armor, and he's assigning a spiritual value to it so that we can understand how the spiritual war happens. And it's, <laughs> it was funny. The very first one is the belt of truth. And uh, I was reading it, and one of the translations I read called it the girdle of truth. And I thought, well, that's pretty oxy. I mean, really, isn't the girdle designed to do anything but tell the truth? Right? <laughs> like, I really, I'm like, oh, let's call it the belt of truth. I can kind of roll with that one a little bit better. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know. That's what happens in my time with God. Um, <laughs> deeply spiritual moments. Anyway, he, so he says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And you think of the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier would wear this a tunic. It's kind of like a dress, you know. And he would put the belt on. And the belt, he could attach his sword to a different weapons. But in times of battle, what he would do is he'd take the tunic and he'd pull it up and tuck it in so it was tight. Now, my dad played hockey. He's a really, really good hockey player. And he taught me one thing. That's when you get in a hockey fight, you grab the guy's shirt. And if you can get it over his head, you're going to win the fight. <laughs> well, guess what the belt of truth does for you? It keeps your hockey shirt from getting pulled over your head. And so, so it's a defensive piece, allows you to hold other things. But I think that here's what's interesting. He talks about, so it, if you don't have a belt on, you know, I'll tell you this, this just hit me. I, my first year teaching, uh, my very first year teaching, I taught for 15 years. And uh, there, was a, there was a second grade student, I remember he walked up to the front of the classroom and he didn't have a belt on. He walked up, he picked up the chalk and his pants fell to his ground because he had no belt on. I think it's really important that we keep our pants up because you can't fight with your pants around your ankles, right? <laughs> anyway, he, so he, he talks about the belt and he says when you have the belt on, it's going to keep all your stuff in so that you can fight. And what is he, what's the spiritual assignment he gives? The belt of truth. And I think there's two important pieces of truth that we need to understand here. The first is the belt of, th th that we need to understand what is true. Okay, understanding what is true. And you'll see, uh, you'll see this so often. Uh, you've, you've probably heard the expression, well, that's your truth and this is my truth, right? We all have our own truth. Well, that doesn't really work. You can't have two opposing thoughts and then both be true, right? That, the reality is there's usually three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth, right? Truth is truth. What I believe about true What's true doesn't make it true or false. It's just what I believe about it. And I think that it's very important for us to understand what is true. And, and I want to just jump back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you remember, God's just created earth and Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are roaming around in the garden in this time. And as they're roaming the garden, the serpent comes up to Eve. And the very first thing that the serpent does is create an alternate truth. The serpent says, hey, what are you doing? We're just here in the garden, eating the fruit, but not that one. 
Really? You can't eat from that one? Why not? Because if we eat it, we'll die. And he says, will you really die? He says, yeah, we'll die. He says, no. And the serpent says, no, you actually, you won't die. Here's what's going to happen. Your eyes will be opened and you'll be enlightened. And here's what's really interesting. And Dave's going to talk about this more next week, the tactics of Satan. See, he creates an alternate truth and he uses partial truth to create the alternate truth. He sp- yeah, you know what happened? As soon as she believed something that wasn't true, she made a decision to eat the fruit and then as soon as she ate the fruit, her eyes were enlightened and what were they enlightened to? The fact that she was naked and she had shame and she'd never, Adam and Eve had never, never had shame and awareness of their nakedness until that moment. It was partially true. <laughs> Their eyes were, and what did he say? He, what he really said, what's, what the serpent really said to them, he, he said, uh, hey, you know what? If you eat this fruit, you will actually be like, God, God is holding out on you. Have you ever heard that lie in your head? See, you'll be like, God, if you eat this fruit, and he doesn't want you to do that. He's holding out on you. And the very first thing that happens in the very beginning of the Bible is the serpent comes in and creates an alternate truth. And if we don't understand what is true, we can't make good decisions. But the second part of it is this, that we have to live in truth, which is a little bit different than understanding the truth, but first you understand it, and then you live in it. And what does that mean? Well, so what, let's look at Adam and Eve again. When they sinned, what was, they had shame and guilt, so what did they do? Remember God comes walking in the garden, and they hide. See, when you don't live in truth, and people don't, we think, we think that if we keep the, the bad stuff from everyone knowing, we're free. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, 31 and 32, listen very clearly, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we think partial truth sets us free. We think alternate truth sets us free. And we think stuff that we believe is true but it's not true sets us free. And hiding the truth sets us free. And none of it sets us free. And if we live in, in community with each other with all honesty and people know us and love us for who we really are, we are free. We're not free when we hide and we're not free when we don't believe what's true. So the, the second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. It says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And then, you know, I think you all get that. It's like body armor, right? Uh, interestingly enough, the Roman uh, the, the breastplate for the Roman soldier was designed to protect the front and not the back. Apparently, the understanding was that when you're in battle, you're going to the battle, not running from the battle. Because <laughs> if you're running, guess what? You're exposed, so you better go forward. I, I, um, I, so on this one, I, I think there are two things. It's called the breastplate. The breastplate, what does it do? It guards what part of your body? Your heart and your vital organs, right? Very, very important. Um, and and it, we, we read in uh, Proverbs chapter four, it says this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The breastplate of righteousness guards our heart because what controls our heart? I talked about this last time I talked, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And when something has a hold on your heart, that, that helps you decide what you're going to do in the moment. And he, the spiritual value he assigns to this is righteousness. 
And there's, again, even with this, there's two, two kinds of, there's, there's imputed righteousness is a theological term which just means that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took our sins in his body and gave us his righteousness so that we can actually receive salvation. And I just have to stop for a second and tell you this. If you have not yet accepted Christ as your savior, you cannot put on the armor of God. And step number one for many of you today is to just say, I'm going to receive your righteousness into my life, Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. Dave's going to be here. Or if you can catch me or the worship leaders, we would love to take you through that process in accepting Christ for the first time and moving into that new relationship and understanding what that means. The second kind of righteousness is a little more simple, and it's just about right living, right? Making right choices. Well, how do you make right choices? You have to understand the truth. And this is just all about, you know, um, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and this is what's really interesting. It goes on. It says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. What does the, what, what the breastplate do? Keep you from getting pierced. And when you have Christ's righteousness in your heart and you are living a righteous life or making right choices, you are prevented from being pierced. And what happens when you're pierced? You have grief in your life. The second one is just uh, the breastplate of righteousness. The third one is feet fitted with the gospel of peace. And again, so, so, many, so far all of these things are defensive. And I, I, one quick story, I played, uh, in college I played basketball. Our center, Vern Orlowski, he's a big guy and he had size 16 foot. And we went to a game, it was an away game. He shows up at the game and uh, he plays a horrible game. It's like a terrible game. And uh, which for him was a big deal because he didn't always have great games anyways. And so this was beyond that. And um, so he plays this terrible game. We get done and he walks out to the stands and he takes his shoes and he hands them to some guy. I'm like, well, I'm like what's going on? Oh, I forgot my shoes. He had a size 16 foot. And I go, what, what, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I had to give those shoes back. I had to borrow them from someone. What size were they? They were 11s. <laughs> he played an entire game with a shoe that was five sizes too small for him. You don't have to be a genius to understand. This just happened to me before I went on vacation. We were just on vacation, and I kind of had a biking accident. It was... Um, I'd love to make it a glorious event, but I was wearing flip-flops riding with the kids and I wiped out. Anyway, hurt my foot. And uh, <laughs> interestingly, Nelson just told me he did that last week. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, you know that if you've hampered your foot, if you ever stubbed a toe or cut, it's one of the, it immobilizes you, doesn't it? And this is what, he, again, first you wear the belt, Guard the vitals and be able to be mobile, right? Put on shoes that protect our feet. And uh, uh, here, here's the, maybe the oxymoronic thing about this. And, and I wish, I, I'm going to have to rush through because there are six things and I, I really can't spend all my time on everything. So, but the gospel, what, what the shoes are, the gospel of peace. Now, when you, you, you have two options, right? You're either at war or at so what Jesus, or what Paul is telling us is you go to war with peace. It's a spiritual principle that doesn't make much sense in the human mind. 
And I'm just going to tell you this, that if you don't deliberately decide in your daily life to bring peace to the situations you're in, you are probably wearing the wrong shoes. And it's time to put on some different shoes. Let me just ask you this. Women, how many of you woke up this morning and said, I don't care what shoes I wear? Most of you went, well, let me see, I'm wearing this and this, and then you pulled out six pairs and you decided these are the ones for the day, right? And I want to say that in the same sense, spiritually speaking, we need to, making, need to be making those choices when it comes to our shoes. And they need to be shoes that are tr- attempting to bring the good news gospel of peace to the situation that I'm in. The fourth thing is the shield of faith, and it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And in the Roman time, they had, it was a big shield, this wood, it was like two by four, and it was covered with leather. And it was, it was interesting, because as I did a little research on this, the, the edges of the shield would lock together with other shields. And they could literally create an impenetrable wall. You know, and they'd move forward. You guys see 300, maybe there's a scene when they shoot the arrows and they all lock their shields together and, and they survive. Well, understanding that the shield was made to be locked tells us what? That our preparedness for battle doesn't just affect me. It affects everyone around me. If I leave my shield at home, the guy next to me might take, take an arrow. The word, is, uh, the word faith is pistis, and it, it probably maybe the better way of thinking of it is faithfulness. And I just want us to understand that the faith that he's talking about is when, we're, when we start to have doubts, Satan starts to throw these fiery arrows at these things that start to make us challenged. Is this really true? You know, back to Adam and Eve, when these alternate versions of truth come at us, faithfulness and saying, no, I believe in God and I will be faithful to what you tell me to do because I know the truth. The uh, fifth thing is the helmet of salvation. And this one's tied closely to the final one. Again, it's a defensive uh, it's, a, it's a defensive piece of armor. And this refers to the mind that is controlled by God. Right? Having your mind controlled by God. And I, I just t- I'll just tell you this. When your mind is controlled by God, you can't be led astray. But the moment your mind is not controlled by God, good luck. You know, we're told in, in uh, 2 Peter 3.18 to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Savior Christ. We need to be feeding our mind and protecting what goes into our head. Same way you put a helmet on when you ride a bike. You protect your head. And I I was just thinking this through. I'll I'll just tell you another. When I was in... uh, Anyway, I had a friend, and I used to to think that horoscopes were funny. You know? Funny. So I remember I was with, with my friend. I'm like, oh, let's see what my horoscope says today. And he like... What? Well, it's just a joke, right? He was, I have, I've, it completely, I just got to tell you this, that when you allow, that's how footholds get into your life, even on a playful level, he said, don't ever even toy with that stuff. Because what you're doing is you're allowing stuff that's not true to seep in there, even if you think it's funny. Stay away. And we have to protect our head with the helmet of salvation, a mind that's controlled by God, which is c- tied closely to our final Uh, piece of armor, which is our sword. And it says, the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. So we control our, a mind controlled by God 
is using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I feed my brain with good stuff, with truth, with God's Word, right? And it says in Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. The word of God penetrates us in a good way. It judges our actions and our thoughts. When you read God's word and you read something, it reveals something about what you believe and how you feel about that belief. Very, very powerful. And I, I'm just going to say this really quickly in closing. And then it goes on. Verse 18 of, of Ephesians says this. And it's not really one of the pieces of armor, but it goes on to say this is really important. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. And I believe what he's saying here. In every situation, the relationship with your wife or your husband, your kids or your parents or your boss or your employees or any sort of, any, all of us together, we should be praying and what should we pray about? That we're on alert, we're aware of the spiritual battle and we're putting our armor on to bring unity to it. You want to know, you know, ask yourself this question, what am I believing? Is, in, in this moment, am I believing what's true? I, even it was uh, just... I, Ha, you know, just have conflict. And so often, I was telling David this this week, I get to, I'm at the point where I can actually identify in my head that I'm not believing truth. Now I'm trying to get my heart to catch up with what I believe. I know it's not true, but I've got to move past it. I just want to close here with, with, with a story. National Geographic ran, uh, ran an article about the Alaskan bull, bull moose. And these males battle for dominance during the fall breeding season, uh, literally going head-to-head to, head to head with their only weapon being their antlers, right? And oftentimes, uh, well, the, the heftiest moose is the one that wins, and oftentimes what will happen is a bull moose will break off one of the antlers, ensuring its defeat, all right? And, the one, and what they do all preseason is they're eating a steady diet. And what they found was the ones that ate the best stuff, as you would imagine, have the strongest antlers and are the heftiest, and those are the ones that win dominance. And I think that the spiritual principle we need to understand from that is that the battle that the bull moose has in the breeding season actually happens before that, when they're eating a diet of good or not as good stuff. And for many of us, we've got to be in a place where we are actually filling our minds with the good stuff, the Bible, understanding the truth. We're guarding our hearts so that something doesn't take a hold of our heart and lead us astray. And we've got the sword of the Spirit where we're reading God's Word and we're in prayer daily. One last really quick story, and it's kind of a funny story. In his book, Fuzzy Memories by Jack Handy, you remember him? He writes this, there used to be this bully who would demand my, my lunch money every day. Since I was smaller, I would give it to him. Then I decided to fight back. Started taking karate lessons, but the instructor wanted $5, $5 a lesson. That was a lot of money. So I found that it was cheaper to pay the bully, so I gave up karate. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but here's the point I make with that story. That... 
so many of us find that it's just cheaper to pay the bully than it is to actually prepare for the battle. That when we don't prepare, we live lives outside of the benefits and the blessings that God promises us and we lose the battle because we just think it's too much work to prepare. I'm gonna invite the band, you guys can come forward. One of the things that we can do to help prepare our mind, get our thoughts, believing truth is to worship together and proclaim truth. We're gonna do that right now. And this band comes forward. I'm just gonna ask if you guys would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you and we understand that on a daily basis we're engaged in a battle and that battle is for, for our very lives in a spiritual sense. You're calling us to engage the battle and be aware and protect our hearts and our heads. And our I just pray that we would understand what true is. We would seek you with all of our heart and we would understand that in the end, we find the most important thing we find is in the God of our armor, not the armor itself, but understanding who the God is that we love and serve. We ask this in your name. Amen.